Here's a question as we begin today. What, what are you worried about right now? Just right now, this morning, what worries are you holding? Maybe you're thinking, none until you asked me. <laughs> um, I was actually kind of feeling good, Scott. Thanks a lot. Um, Maybe you're holding some worries I would call silly worries. We all hold so many silly worries. Like, I'm worried about what my wife will think when she discovers just how much I've spent on World Series champion memorabilia for the <laughs> World Series champion Rangers. I think about some of the worries we hold are more serious worries. No doubt you were holding some of those as well. I think about, like, for instance, our... Our neighbor's daughter who came home in tears this past week because she finally opened up that she's been getting bullied since the start of the school year. That's a worry I hold for her. Maybe there's worries you're holding that you're not sure what to do with. Maybe you can't decide if they're silly or serious, like those kind of existential worries that will haunt you late at night. Like, is what I'm doing, like, is what I'm doing, does it matter? Or, or like, are people going to find out that I'm just kind of faking it as I go along? Or like all the, I don't, maybe that's just me. Um, I think the reality is that all of us are holding a grab bag of worries at a given moment. And sometimes they're silly and sometimes they're really serious. And sometimes we just simply don't know what to do with them. And um, it can leave us wondering, you know, what, what do we do about this? Because there's, there's a version of Christianity that would say, just don't worry, right? Just, just let it go. Just release it. And like, oh, man, that's unhelpful advice. Um, I wish I could. And I think if we take seriously the teachings of Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew, especially when he directly addresses worry, I think what we'll find is a rather nuanced take that is not going to fix things overnight, uh, but could be something of like a North Star for us to consider what maybe we can release or maybe what needs to be redirected. In the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first gospel in your Bibles, if you've got a Bible with you or a Bible app, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6. This comes fairly early in the gospel, and it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus uh, teaching on the salt and, and the light, and this is part of that same extended teaching moment. Matthew kind of takes a bunch of these little teaching moments and, and sort of stitches them, quilts them together, if you will, into this one Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, it probably wasn't one single sermon. If it was, it wasn't a good sermon, my friends. He was all over the place. Like, Jesus, what's your main idea, buddy? You know, um, but rather it's a collection of these teachings that Matthew places us in the crowd, the congregation of disciples uh, to hear Jesus teaching. And, and in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has this sort of through line thread around, around prayer. It's where we hear the Lord's prayer in the gospel of Matthew, um, sort of how to pray, what, what we ought to pray for perhaps, and, and also this layer, this thread of of self and what it means to be a person in relationship with God through prayer. And then it kind of culminates in this teaching that we're about to read on worry and anxiety and the things that worry us. And so with all of that in mind, let's go together as we take a look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, Jesus says. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They, they don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet 
your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon, King Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, Desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For the word of God in Scripture and for the word of God within us and for the word of God among us, let us say, thanks be to God. The birds and the lilies, Jesus says. If you're worrying, just look to the birds and the lilies. And and I'll be honest, at at first, the first time I read this text, the first many times I read this text, I was was kind of frustrated with Jesus, if if I'm being really, really honest. Because it almost sounds dismissive, right? I get your stress. But like, look at the birds, they're fine. Look at the flowers, they're doing pretty good. You know, it's like... Jesus, I don't need bird seed and like, you know, I'm not trying to blossom here. I'm trying to like pay my mortgage and like afford my groceries, which keep going up and up and up. Like, is Jesus being uncaring? There's moments in the Gospels where Jesus will say something like that and, and immediately it sort of sounds like, I bristle, it sounds like Jesus doesn't care. And that's, I've learned always an opportunity for me to lean in closer and go, okay, this is the same Jesus that like is so compassionate and so kind and welcoming everybody to the table and all that good stuff. Does he certain, suddenly turn into a jerk or is there something deeper here? So there, there's a different version of this text, or not this text really, but a different interpretation of it that maybe you have heard before. And, and I'm thinking of, of certain very popular American preachers. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a cough. Um, um, <laughs> It's the darndest thing. Um, It's this sort of prosperity gospel, which is just so thoroughly American, and it's our greatest export in Christianity. And and it's this idea that, um, that God exists to fulfill my needs. And what I need is my sixth private jet right? Um, There's a really poor version of interpretation here that says, if you just pray the right way, if you live the right way, if you're faithful in the right kind of way, then everything your heart desires will be granted unto you. And anybody who lives in the real world can pretty much immediately tell that's a load of baloney, right? Like that doesn't feel like that's my lived experience, all right? I don't know about you, but like it feels like my house needs a lot of foundation work right now. Right? Jesus is not like, has not delivered me from that oppression, right? I, I, not, not everything my heart desires falls into my lap. In fact, it's the same Jesus in this text that does say God's going to provide for you, who also says every day is going to have its own trouble, right? There's a, a key core component to the gospel that says a life of faith is not an easy life. 
A, a life of prayer is not, a, is not a, a life with Santa Claus at your beck and call. A, a life with God is not going to be a life that leads you to the mansion that you think you need. So if that's not what this text is getting at, then what is it trying to say? I think one layer that's really important to see here, and we can kind of miss it in our first reading, is the layer of creation's relationship with Creator. You know, sometimes we, we forget that not every faith tradition believed and, and sort of gave honor to like what they believed was the thing that created everything. You might believe in the God of, of fire or the God of water or the God of the grass, and together they form Captain Planet, right? Um, um, but the Jews in, in, in this day and today and the Christianity that blossoms out of it, in this monotheistic belief is, is unique compared to some others. The idea that they are honoring truly the originator, the creator of the world around them, and Jesus is calling us to reconnect with that truth. Notice that at first, Jesus draws our attention to you. There's a lot of you language in that first verse. Did you catch it? Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. I think Jesus is very kindly calling out the fact that we can all feel like the center of the world, of our own world. We begin to believe that we live in the center of the cosmos, and we can become very self-centered in the most like uh, neutral definition of that term, that, that we just kind of get this tunnel vision, and everything is always about us, what, what I need, what, what my life is about, what, what my schedule contains, and, and Jesus is calling us to expand that view for a moment. And He calls us to look up and to look out, not at first at other people, but rather to birds and lilies, which you might think is a weird thing. But I wonder if the first thing that Jesus is asking us to reframe is what it is we think we need. Because when you think about the worries that you have in your life, I imagine a lot of them, especially, quite frankly, the little ones that we need to start to let go are the things that we think we need and we, honest to God, truly don't. Like, I did not need to spend 40 bucks a pop on World Series t-shirts this past Sunday. I also don't need to live in the kind of house that I do, but I do. I don't need the minivan that my family drives, but, but we have that. I don't, we, we begin to believe that we need these things in our lives, and there are some versions of this faith that will say, yes, yes, that's why God is here. God's going to give you all that stuff. But maybe what our faith is here to do is to help us reframe what we think we need. And to look at the birds and say, the birds aren't harvesting and building barns of grain. They're, they're receiving what they need each and every day. What they need is the food to get them through that day. The lilies, they don't need to build a rainforest around themselves. They just blossom to keep their life going. That's what they need. Earlier in this chapter, it's hard to read this text and not hear the Lord's prayer ringing in our ears. Jesus teaches it to his disciples for the first time, and there's that line that we always say, and I wonder if we understand, and I really wonder if we mean it. Give us this day our daily bread. Not give us this day our daily McMansion. Give us this day our daily lake house with the boat and the dock. Give us this day the 401k that's just high enough to make me feel really secure. Give us this day, you can fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. And I understand these things are real, and I'm not trying to, to, to minimize the things that might help you to feel more secure in this life, but I think Jesus is rightfully challenging what we think we need. And when we pray for daily bread, do we mean that? Or are we actually hoping that God could deliver us a daily feast? And when each day is not a feast, we think, oh, what gives God? 
Why am I even showing up? If I'm not feasting every day, baby, what am I doing here? You know, is that what faith is really about? Most of us spend an enormous amount of time worried about the daily bread that we claim to trust God for. The people that Jesus is talking to are not people who are struggling to live hand to mouth. I want us to hear this part clearly. Jesus is not challenging the people who are begging on the streets. Jesus is not challenging the ones who are living under oppression and marginalization. Jesus is challenging the fishermen and the tax collectors and the artisans and the business owners and all the people who had the freedom and power to walk away from their daily lives to go follow after him into some mount to hear a sermon, right? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the people that are not desperately looking for how they're going to eat that day. That's not the concern they're faced with. The concern they're faced with is how much are they going to buy into the rat race that convinces them they need more and more and more and more. And that's what they spend their lives worrying about. That's what they spend their lives toiling over. Jesus says, who among you can add even a single day by worrying? The reality is worrying not only wastes our time in the moment, but it actually can take years off of our lives thanks to things like high blood pressure and bad cholesterol and other things like that. The the behaviors we get into when we get consumed with worry, the daily grind that rat race of thinking, I need more and more and more. That can feel like the weight of the world, but I wonder what it might do for us to do as Jesus says, to stop for a moment and to see the lilies, perhaps. If he was preaching here, he would have said blue bonnets, right? And to listen for the birds and to place the weight of the world back upon the world, to place the sum of creation back upon the creator, and to remember that we were not created to build little empires of our own, but rather to live in the abundance of the kingdom of God, along with the birds, along with the lilies. So here's some practical advice. You know, the weather is finally getting nice where we can actually enjoy being outdoors. Somebody say, amen, Texas, right? Connecting with nature is something that most people really thrive within. I understand this doesn't apply to everybody, but this is something that most people thrive within. And I wonder spiritually, if it's not just because we're breathing fresh air, but because we are breathing the breath of God and we're reconnecting with this truth that not that we are small and insignificant, Jesus says you're worth so much more than birds and grass. But we are a part of a much larger creation and a much larger cosmos that God has had, a, had an amazing ability to provide for long before we showed up and to sort of take peace and comfort in the fact that the seasons change and the birds still eat and the flowers still bloom and maybe the needs when we right-size them to the right amount, maybe God can provide those for us after all. And we can release so much of this fruitless worry but, but is that a cop-out, right? Am I simply doing a roundabout version of a Joel Osteen-esque sermon saying, don't worry about anything, just sort of live your life and trust that God's going to provide and it's going to be okay? Is that, is that what this text is saying? No, because then Jesus has to say instead. I always hate it when Jesus says, but, or instead, or therefore. That's when you know you're about to get your toes stepped on. He says, instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Instead. Sometimes it's not about whether or not it comes, but rather what we do with it. Like, for instance, a day. 
Tomorrow is going to come, whether you want it to or not. I don't know if you're looking forward to Monday or if you're dreading it. It's going to be here, right? Sometimes the question in life is not whether or not it's coming, but rather what we do with it. Like when Friday came this past week, I decided that Andy didn't need to go to school. What she needed to was to go to worship at the altar of the Texas Rangers, who did win the World Flipping Series. the, The Rangers did, Pam. Thank you for asking. The Rangers won the World Series. So I don't know that faith is about preventing worry, because quite frankly, as someone who has acute anxiety and has had panic attacks, like, I don't think my faith is going to make my worry go away. And, And for the record, here's just Pastor Scott stepping off to the side from the sermon for a moment. Today, we're talking about all those general worries that everyday people deal with every single day. If what you're experiencing right now or what you think I'm addressing is like acute anxiety or panic attacks, I am not a medical professional. I have those in my life, and I encourage you to find some too and be happy to connect you with some if you need them. Okay, so when we talk about worry in this context, I have heard so many terrible sermons about if you believe in Jesus enough, all that will go away. My friends, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm a dadgum reverend in the United Methodist Church, and I still have anxiety. It's a reality, okay? Can we understand the kind of conversation Pastor Scott is trying to have today? Yeah, I can move back in. Okay, back into the sermon I'm trying to have. Great. So, um, thank you, medical professionals. So, um, Worry is not an, a, a, a sort of a binary of will it come or won't it come, but rather when it does, what do we do with it? And I do think that there is some worry that Jesus is simply asking us to release, to, to right-size our needs and then to release those worries that live beyond them. But then I think there are some worries that, God, that Jesus, that God wants us to redirect. And it's because Jesus uses this word seek. In our English translations, it's the word seek. In the original Greek translation, it's this word that connotes a searching out of something with with such a level of care that it borders on anxiety, right? It's to care so much that like you can't sleep at night or to care so much that it like, it, it almost hurts how much you care to seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, God's kingdom and God's righteousness, Jesus says, warrants our care. It's worth our worry, even our anxiety perhaps, because God's kingdom and righteousness asks us to act today for the sake of tomorrow rather than worry about tomorrow for the sake of today. It's redirecting our worries to consider what it is that actually deserves and is warrant that warrants our worry. The question for me becomes, what is worth your worry? We are human beings. We are going to worry. It's not a question of whether or not we do, but perhaps where we put that energy, how we direct the everyday worries in our lives. Jesus is not dismissing your worries or mine, but rather asking us to direct it differently. That brings us to the subject of legacy today. Today, we're honoring legacy and reflecting upon legacy. And maybe it's weird to think about the worries that you'll be remembered for, but I promise you, you will. I've presided over dozens of funerals as a pastor, many here, many elsewhere. And to this day, no one has ever said at a lectern like this, I loved how they chose their work over me. No one has ever said of their loved one, I admire the way they obsessed over themselves and barely thought of anybody else in their life. No one has ever testified to say, I really hope I can live up to their incredible bank account and wonderful wardrobe. Like, that just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. But I have heard people talk about the way that their loved ones loved them 
in simple and yet profound ways, how they showed up and loved well time and time again, the way they worried about how much their family and their friends felt seen, felt known, felt loved, the righteousness they exuded, the kingdom of God they spent their lives helping to build. And so if you're going to worry about anything, Jesus says, let it be about the things that live on beyond a day. The food you eat and the clothes on your back, those things will come. They may not be the food that you want. They may not be the clothes that you desire, but those things will come. King Solomon, he even names. Interesting name. When a name is pointed out, you ought to take notice. King Solomon was on the Mount Rushmore of ancient Israel, right? King Solomon was one of the really great kings. In fact, King Solomon was the last king to preside over the unified empire kingdom of Israel, known for his wisdom, evidently known for being extremely fashionable. But when King Solomon died, everything that he had spent his life working for went away in a moment. When his son inherited the throne, his empire was split into two, and it began this long journey that would eventually lead to exile. The reality is King Solomon, in all of his wisdom, in all of his glory, maybe he didn't, in fact, live his life worried about the things that mattered most, things that the prophets would end up calling out long after he was gone. Maybe King Solomon should have worried more about the widow and the orphan or the hungry or the hurting or the people and the concerns that, when ignored, they always lead to the fall of empire or to fractured ruin. And so, again, I'm going to ask you, what is worth your worry? What is worth caring so much that it hurts, that it keeps you up at night, that it makes you live differently as a result? Because worrying is a natural part of the human life, but you are made for more than food and clothing, my friends. You are made to help God co-create a new reality that Jesus calls the kingdom of God, and that matters, and that is worth your worry. Maybe you feel like that's calling you into really great and terrific things, or maybe, like Jim and Barbara, you are called to simple acts of love that resonate decades later. But those kinds of things, the things that live on far beyond us, that is a legacy worth worrying about. So maybe the bank account doesn't grow like you hoped it would. And maybe the clothes that you wear aren't the ones you wish you had. And maybe the feast doesn't come every day, but instead we're given daily bread to sustain ourselves so that we can walk with God wherever that journey leads us to co-create, to get our hands in the dirt, and to build a world alongside God that allows birds to sing and flowers to bloom and for people to thrive. That's something I would love to spend my life worried about. This table that we gather around calls us to be fed in simple ways that God desires and to share in the heart of God that seeks to build a kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims.